Well, good evening, Mosaic. We're glad you're here. Would you stand and worship with us tonight as we have a reason to sing and celebrate our King Jesus? We know of the great things that he's done, so we're, we're gonna celebrate that tonight. Good evening. Y'all can have a seat. 
Mosaic is good to be with you tonight. Uh, my name is Matt Natesel. I work with uh, the kids team here. And so uh, they are spread out around campus doing ministry tonight. But it's good to be in here with you. I, I just got three things for you. First is if you're brand new here, we want to know that you're here. Uh, you, can, you can do the, uh, the text thing on the screen or after service, you can wander out in the foyer and be greeted by the people in the info booth and tell us a little bit about yourself. Or you can just turn to any other person in this room and say, hey, I'm, I'm new here. What do I need to know? And uh, you'll get the, the good and the bad and all in between uh, out of them, hopefully. So uh, we're glad that you're here. The, the next uh, thing I want you to know about is women's studies or women's events. There's a ton of stuff going on this summer. And rather than tell you uh, the dates and times, and, and they're all over the map, uh, I trust that you can go to mosaicnews.org slash news, and you can find what you need to know. There's studies, there's uh, weekend trips, there's morning excursions, all kinds of stuff. So if you're feeling like you need a little time with somebody else or want to get to know somebody in the body, that's a good way to do it. Uh, and then finally, before I hand it off to my friend Brandon here, uh, Discover. Uh, this is a, a great way to, uh, it's a small group experience that is going to answer all the questions you have about what is this church fellowship, what is this congregation mosaic, what do we believe, where do we come from, what are we doing, what's our hope, what's our mission, what's our vision. Uh, and so you, you uh, meet first here on campus, and then from there you meet uh, the following weeks in a home, doing a small group together, uh, answering those questions. It's a great way to get plugged in. Again, that's on the website. You can get plugged in there. And now, I know a bunch of you know him, but in case you've been new to the room, uh, my friend Brandon Cole, he's been serving in Mali, Africa. Uh, it's it's a, a team of two families. One has uh, come back, and, and these guys are staying. And so I'm, I'm going to uh, just hand it over to him and let him uh, share what's been going on there. Thanks, Matt. Hey, Mosaic, how we doing? So excited to be here. Mosaic, I mean, I can't explain how my heart feels walking in here, starting the journey to move to Mali in 2016. It's kind of weird how time flies, if any of you guys were here at the beginning of that. Um, but we are so thankful. As he said, one of our teammates are coming home. He's going to be a Rogers Campus missions pastor. So we're thrilled, we're excited, a little sad as well. But the McMahon family, um, we're super excited for them. My family, uh, we are in a process of adoption as well out of a different country, out of Malawi. Um, so we're here for a short stretch, headed back in July to Mali. I'm, I have sign-ups for everyone that wants to come and visit. Okay, come on, thank you. It's a, it's, don't Google anything. But I wanna share with you just for a minute something that's happening in Mali that is just near and dear to my heart. Because God asks us to do a lot of hard things, Correct. Mali is a difficult country. He asked us to do so many hard things. Last December, I had to eat monkey. It was hard. But what I love is making disciples and teaching and coaching others to make disciples is not one of the hard things God asked us to do. And I want you guys to grasp that so strongly tonight that God has called each and every one of us to make disciples. All of you. It's not dependent on your pastors. We, th we thank God for them, but you are disciple makers, and that's the joy of what we're getting to do in Mali, um, is we're getting to coach and train these new believers that are making disciples. How many of you guys remember the Muhammad story of the dream many years ago? All right, Muhammad is a dear friend. He's, he knows very little, honestly, but he's making disciples. I've watched this young man baptize other people. He called me last week and said his brother's now following Jesus. I'm celebrating with him. He goes, oh yeah, he started a discovery Bible study with his friends already. Seeing multiplication is one of the greatest joys you could ever experience. There's a young man in a village about three hours from the capital where we're at. Um, he is, he's passionate about Jesus. He wants Jesus to be made known, but he was struggling to do that. He was not seeing any fruit. So we train him in disciple-making movements. He goes back and he tries to start. He's struggling a little bit still. We drive out to the village and coach him up a little bit. In coaching, all we do is ask questions. That's it, let them debrief their own work. We coach him up, find out he needs access into a couple new villages, we put water wells there. Three weeks ago, I was just got back here, and he calls and says we have 20 new believers in this village. Praise God, right? But the beauty, the simplicity 
of making disciples, letting the Spirit of God use the Word of God to create the people of God is one of the greatest joys we could ever be a part of. You guys know me, I'm not that talented, I'm just a basketball coach, but God's letting my family and this other family be a part of his work. We'd love for you guys to be a part of it as well. I wasn't joking about visiting. See the Bings later and they'll sign you up, right? Thank you guys for letting me come tonight. <laughs> you want me to pray for them? All right. Sorry, they told me I had just a few minutes. I had to rush, but I wanna pray for you guys. Um, you guys join me. Father, we love you so much. We are so grateful that you allow us to be your children, that you've called us by name and let us be a small part of your story and making your name famous all over the world. I thank you, Father, for Mosaic. I thank you for this congregation that has been so dear to our hearts and loved us and supported us in so many ways, Lord. And I just pray, God, right now for a blessing over this congregation that you will bless them and keep them and make your face shine upon them and give them peace. Lord, I pray that you will continue to raise up disciple makers out of this congregation. I pray that each person in here will find others that they can share the truth with. Start making disciples that multiply as we long to see rapid multiplication. Lord, we're so grateful. We love you. We just thank you for the service tonight. We pray that all that we do will bring you the most glory possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, let's continue in our worship tonight. Would you stand with us as we sing about abiding in Christ our Lord? He's our dependence, he's our rest. And if you believe that tonight, would you sing these words with me?
over our offering with me. God will do more than we could ever ask or imagine, but we do have to ask. So you pray this with me. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, and rest to the weary and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen. Would y'all sing this with me? Our affection, our devotion, pour it out on the feet of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus 
After the two days he left for Galilee, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet had no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son laid sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went over to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed while he was still on his way. His servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. And God's people said, This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, family. You may take a seat. Hey, my name's Colin, and I'm really jet-lagged. I uh, had the opportunity to go over to Turkey, Fethiye, Turkey, and uh, I love this church, friends, because this is a sending church. Did y'all hear Brandon Cole earlier as he was talking about that prayer that this would be a church of disciple-makers? Oh, I love it. And I just had the chance. Uh, a good friend of ours, Doug Rains, is up at Fellowship Bentonville now. He and I had the chance this past week to go visit David and Monica Taylor, some church planners in Fethiye, Turkey. And they have three strategies. One, the spirit of God. Two, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. And three, equipping the saints with the word of God. And let me tell you, the bride of Jesus looks good in Turkey. And they are praying for you tonight. It's good to be with you. Hey, uh, if you got your Bibles, John 4. Also, if you have your John booklet, we'll be, I think it's page 63. And uh, that's where we're gonna be tonight. Um, And I don't know about you, but uh, my theology of miracles has not been very informed by the scriptures. (laughs) When, When I thought of like, okay, when I think of miracles, what first comes to mind? You know what it was? Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, Right? I won't dare try to butcher the song. I'll get some other friends to come sing it. But there can be miracles when you believe. Though hope is frail, it's hard to kill. Who knows what miracles you can achieve? When you believe, somehow you will. When you believe, oh, 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 mm, yeah. (laughs) There's this, this kind of tendency in our culture to go one of two ways, isn't there? There's one pitfall that would say, uh, I need to obsess on miracles. There's an obsession. There's almost a worship of the miraculous, of the supernatural. We miss out on the person of Jesus. On the other side, you would have an omission of them, the skeptic, the doubter. There's no such thing. That was God back then. God doesn't do that now. And we would limit the all-knowing, all-powerful triune God to our understanding or interpretation. I don't know about you, but I feel that weight to go both of, Jesus, give me this miracle, do this thing in my life, and I'm obsessing over it, and I miss out on worshiping and being in his presence. Or I walk in my intellectual, my mind, I have it all figured out, and I got this God, I understand him, and and I got my little box I put him in, and I miss out on the person of Jesus. I love, love, love how Tim Keller says it. He says that we modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order, a change of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be a restoration of the natural order. He continues that the Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it, but Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong, heal the world where it is broken, 
His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world that we all want is coming. And as we approach John chapter four tonight, John makes very clear what his purpose of these miracles are. He has seven of them. We just finished up in the series of seven I am statements, identities of who Jesus is. And now we move into these seven signs. John doesn't actually refer to them as miracles in the gospel. If you look all the way at the end of the gospel in chapter 20, he said that Jesus performed many other weak. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, son of God, and by believing you may have life. John is very specific in which miracles, signs he puts into this gospel because like a sign on a road, it's meant to point us to the way, the truth, and the life. And so as we approach John chapter four tonight, my hope for us is that we would not just fix our eyes on the miracles or the miraculous, or we would sit back with our arms crossed, skeptical of what God could or could not do in our world, and we would fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. I don't know about you, I I geek out, so let me be a nerd for a moment. I love how the, the literary devices, the masterpiece that the scriptures are. And in in a quick review, before I get to John 4, look what John has done in chapters 2 through 4. This is known as a chiasm or or symmetric parallelism, where you have an idea at the top and an idea at the bottom that mirror one another to the main point. It's all throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. And John has done something in chapter 2, as Scott Jones led us so well through last week, with the sign at Cana, the the, the, uh, miracle of water to wine. And it was symbolic of what Jesus is going to do in his death. When his mother comes to him, he says, it is not yet my hour. He's referring to this wine, this new wine that's going to bring new life to the world. It's reflecting his death. And the disciples believe. And then if you were to continue, John begins to go to a, a Jesus flipping some tables in the temple. And he goes and cleanses the temple. And he says, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. And the Pharisees demand a sign. They don't believe that that this Jesus is the son of God. And so they say, by what power, by what authority, what sign can you give us that shows us that you have authority to flip these tables and call this house your father's house? And he refers to his resurrection. Tear, destroy this temple, and three days later I'll bring it back. Next, he goes to a conversation with a Pharisee. He comes at night. It's dark. Throughout the Gospel of John, darkness is always something that brings about rough purposes in Jesus' ministry. And Nicodemus comes, and he's questioning him, and and he comes not with genuine faith, but ready to, to test Jesus and to see if this Jesus is actually for real. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again, born from above But if you read carefully in the conversation, Nicodemus only refers to Jesus' teacher, never Messiah. And then John goes into this exposition for this is why Jesus has come into the world. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son that whoever believes comes up almost in every chapter of John. Believe, believe, believe. And now you watch the structure go back where we have this unbelief in the beginning begins to turn as Jesus comes and there's a conversation with John to Baptist and he refers to Jesus coming and baptizing as one from above. He brings about a a new life. He's the savior, the Messiah, not just a teacher. And then you have this promise to a Samaritan woman. That is someone, the Gentile, outside of the Jewish circle where there's been unbelief. And she goes to her village after a conversation with Jesus and trusting in him as the Messiah, as the Savior, bringing about a new worship, a new temple of spirit and truth. And there's belief amongst the Samaritans. And then you come to this royal official, the second sign, closing the Cana cycle in John chapter 4. Look at me in verse 43. After two days, he left for Galilee. Jesus, in these two days, he's gone to the the Samaritans and he's been ministering to them. And uh, in the verse just before this, it says that we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and know that Jesus is the savior of the world. This passage begins with a radical different faith than that of the Jews. 
that Jesus has encountered. Verse 44, Jesus had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him for they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, back to the water to wine, to the um, cleansing of the temple. And for they also had been there. See, Jesus is setting up something here where you're going to have the belief of the Samaritans and the unbelief of the Jewish nation of which he's a part. And that is gonna be a continual theme throughout. And, and, and at the backdrop of as we enter into this conversation with the royal official, we have a battle between belief, Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, unbelief. We need more signs. We don't have enough proof. And we come to a royal in crisis. Verse 46. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned water into wine. So he's back in the same place where he did his original sign. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. This is about an 18-mile journey for this man. 18 miles because he heard about this Jesus who was performing miracles in Cana. And he comes as a father in crisis. And not just any father, it mentions that he is a royal official, which means most scholars would agree that this is a Gentile, someone serving under the Roman leadership. So this is actually even further an enemy of the state to the Jewish leaders coming to this person they think is just a teacher and begging him because they've, he's heard that this Jesus may have power to heal his son. And I don't know about you, but I, I can sympathize with this man in crisis, can't you? Um, and, and there are some of us in the room who know the journey of this father really, really well. Um, where we have experienced this kind of fear, this kind of loss. And uh, notice that, that death is the problem, but Jesus has come to bring life. See, because there's three responses we could have to suffering and death in this world. One is that the suffering and the death is God's fault. He built it, he broke it. And that's some poor theology, friend. Two is that it's my fault. I'm so wicked, these are consequences, God's punishing me, it's my fault that, that this is happening. Again, I think you've missed a key aspect of the, the nature of who God is and what God does. Three, we live in a broken world with broken people. And the good news of the gospel is that we have a God who has stepped into that brokenness to restore all things. Amen? That God walks in our pain with us in this life. I love the way that Elizabeth Elliot says it, that faith does not eliminate our questions. Belief in God, it doesn't eliminate the doubt and the questions and the suffering, but it knows where to take them. And if we can learn one thing from this royal father in crisis is that he came to the safest place you can be in any moment in human history, at the feet of the Savior of the world. We may not know why suffering exists in our lives and world, but we can know who to bring our suffering to. It's the one who himself has walked through it can join us in that place. Verse 48, Jesus has a, a unique response. And at first, it seems pretty harsh. He says, this is to the royal official, my son is dying, Jesus, please come help. I know you can heal him. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Any counselors in the room? How's he doing? <laughs> Would you hire that person at your counseling practice? Oh my goodness, like Jesus, go take a nap. Like your, your journey, like go get some rest and maybe come back and talk to this guy. At face value, it seems like Jesus is being pretty harsh to him, doesn't it? Please understand and notice it says plural here, you people. There's something greater. Jesus is actually, in his compassion, inviting this man deeper. He's not just giving him the healing of his son. He's actually inviting him into something greater. And so there's the plural, you people, this unbelieving generation. 
that, that will only believe in me, like the Pharisees when I'm cleansing the temple, when they've pushed out the place that was be, to be the presence of the living God, and they've made it a den of robbers. And I come to cleanse it and to bring people to worship God, and they ask me for a sign. You people, you keep demanding things from me. You're never gonna trust me. This is a one-way relationship, and it's not going to cut it. See, what Jesus is rebuking here is a pattern of unbelief that actually exists all across the scriptures. It's this, this pattern of unbelief that exists in the, the population of Galilee surrounding. He's back in his hometown where he's experienced people who want a good miracle worker, but not a savior. They want Jesus for his entertainment, not for eternal life because that requires them to, to see him as the Messiah, as God incarnate. And just before this, Jesus went and visited Samaritans and they heard a testimony of a woman who met with Jesus and they believed. And now Jesus is back in his hometown and you people will not believe. I often hear Christians say today that if only I could have seen Jesus do one of those amazing miracles, I'd find it more easy to trust him fully. Have you ever thought that? I have. Like if I could have just been there. Two problems with that point of view. Um, one, you're missing out on the fact that God is at work in a significant way today. <laughs> We're not trying to get back to something. We're trying to get to somewhere with someone. That he is doing amazing, miraculous things, even in our midst. And we can miss it if we just keep trying to get back to something that was. Two is that many who saw Jesus do miracles, they actually kept wanting him to do more until the point that he invited them to follow and they left. There's something in the human heart and our twisting and in our idol making where we begin to idolize the miracle instead of the miracle worker. And so for us, it leaves this, this Jesus rebuking a cheap faith of will you trust me, will you follow me, will you allow me to govern your life without me having to do something amazing? Am I worth it to you? See, a faith that demands signs and wonders, it's always gonna leave us wanting for what Jesus alone can provide. It's himself, it's his presence, it's his kingdom, it's his purposes in this life. If you were just to, to take an overview of the Old Testament, Israel, walk through the Red Sea, led out of slavery to Egypt with God by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud of smoke by day to cover them. Manna falling from the sky to feed them and quail, God provides. They see the promised land. They taste the honey. They watch Mount Sinai and they build a golden calf. And they saw it, and it still wasn't enough for them to remain, to have faith in the living God. Jesus provides something so much greater than just a miracle. He provides us, you and I, with the very presence of the triune God. Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 49. The royal official even after the gentle rebuke, he still is persistent. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, go. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Notice the, the persistence in the response of the official. One, he's, he's persistent to stay with Jesus even in the crisis. He stays with the only one who can bring hope. And two, he takes him at his word. See, he has two errors in his thinking. One, he thinks that Jesus needs to come all the way back, 18 miles. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, I ain't walking that. I just got back here. <laughs> he thinks Jesus needs to be present there as well as he thinks that if his son dies, all hope is lost. And Jesus provides him. Go, 
your son will live. And the word, which was with God and is God and was in the beginning, who spoke creation into being, speaks. And that boy is alive. And the father just trusts him. He believes. What you say, Jesus, is enough. And he departs. Are the words of Jesus enough for your faith? Um, when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, do you trust that? Do you believe that? When he says, in this life I have come, that you may have eternal life, and that in knowing the Father and the one who he has sent, do you trust him? When he tells you that sin in this world is going to break you, but he has come to bring life and peace and joy and patience and kindness, do, do you trust him? Are the words of Jesus enough for your faith? Or do you need more? Karl Barth, a really brilliant theologian and pastor, he actually pastored through both world wars. <laughs> I thought COVID was hard. <laughs> he went through both world wars pastoring a church in Switzerland incredible theological work. I mean, the mind of a theological giant. And in late in his life, in the 60s, he was at a conference for seminary students and they came together and they have all his books spread out and they've done all these lectures and all these big theological words and terms. And they have a Q&A time and a student raises his hand and says, hey, Carl, Dr. Barth, if you could summarize your work just in one sentence, what would you say? You know what Carl Barth said? Pastor through two world wars. Brilliant theologian, Greek, Hebrew, all of it. You know what he said? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Let me talk about a mic drop. <laughs> is the word of God enough for you to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and he is going to do what he has promised he will do? Will you take him at his word? Verse 51, and while he, the royal official, is back on his way, his servants meet him. Praise Jesus, these servants. Uh, in the joy and in the commotion, I mean, imagine what's going, back, going on back in the home front where this boy is healed and the servants take off to go find this royal official to tell him the good news. They met with him and the news that his boy was alive. And the royal official inquired, as to what time his son got better. And they said, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then Jesus, or, I'm sorry. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And so he and his whole household believed. For this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. On the brink of death, Jesus displays a sign. I am the Messiah who brings life. Death will not defeat those who abide, remain, follow, believe in me. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes will have eternal life. And notice the entire household believing. So we had the the. Jews, Jewish leaders, unbelief. You had Nicodemus in the shadows, not willing to proclaim what Jesus has told him. To the Samaritan woman going back with her testimony and all these Gentiles are trusting just at the word of this woman. And now this royal official, it's actually beginning to put into place what Jesus would tell his disciples in the book of Acts. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, you are my witnesses to declare I am the Savior, the Son of God. Eternal life is found through me. His whole household believes. And this is Roman soldier, royal official, submitting to a Jewish rabbi claiming to have eternal life. Is this true of your household? What about your neighborhood? They took the, the royal official at his word. Jesus healed our boy. He is the Messiah. What, what would it look like if the words of Jesus were enough for us and we began to declare them in our houses, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? And we got to experience the joy that this royal official got to experience of seeing his family 
become disciples of Jesus. In Turkey, um, I was sitting there in a Bible study. Um, the Taylors had some English studies and some Turkish studies they were, they were hosting. And uh, I had the joy and honor of getting to sit in the Turkish study. I didn't understand a lick of it. <laughs> Not fluent in Turkish. But in the study, it actually began to shift where David, the pastor that we support over there, began to translate back and forth for us. And uh, one of the, the women in the corner of the study raised her hand and she said, I have a question. And uh, I have a question for the American pastors, me and Doug. And we were like, uh-oh. Her first question was, how big is your church? And we were like, it's big. <laughs> it's bigger than this. But here's how we do things, small groups, and we explained it. It's awesome. Secondly, she said, uh, we asked her, we, we said, hey, if you could tell one message to the church back in America, what would you say? And this is coming from the mouth of a Turkish woman who's left Islam and now following Jesus faithfully, telling her neighborhood and her household how much she, he has done for her. This is a message from her to you, church. She said, repent and make disciples. Because it seems to me that my Western brothers and sisters are getting more comfortable and complacent with the world and are missing out on being the church. Are the words of Jesus enough for you that when he tells you to go and make a disciple, you will obey and do it? It is not optional for you to be a disciple maker as a follower of Jesus. It's his command to love him, love neighbor, and make disciples. And I long for this church, this expression of Jesus's bride to have the joy of seeing a disciple-making movement in Northwest Arkansas. And that is only gonna take place in the context of relationships, community, and households. I digress. So out of John chapter four, the primary thing we see about this sign of Jesus is that the foundation and, uh, and hope of our faith is Christ and Christ alone, the author and finisher of it. Jesus' message to the royal official is the same message to you. Will you take me at my word and you will live? Believing that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the divine son of God, and the results is we have deliverance in this life. God lives amongst and within us, and one day he will dwell on this earth with us. So how do we put this into practice? I think there's a few ways we, we, we could. One, um, I think we need to reclaim faith in the West. Um, this term faith, oftentimes you hear things like blind faith or take a leap of faith. I think that's very different than the term used in the Bible. See, with a biblical faith, I actually see it as this journey where there's three key themes on the journey. And what I would say is you might experience season where all three are very high for you, and you also might experience seasons where you have some fluctuation, where there is a knowledge, a knowledge of God's person, who God is. I know that God can heal. I know that God can do this. I know that it's based in knowledge. I don't know about you, but when I, I think of putting my trust in somebody as Lord, I'd like to know what qualifications they have first. <laughs> if someone comes up to me and is like, hey, I'm, I'm the Messiah, you better follow me. It's like, who are you? Can you tell me a little bit more? There's a knowledge here. Second, as you grow in your knowledge of the person of God, you begin to trust in his promises and his purposes. There's a trust, there's an assent. That is John 14, one, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God and trust also in me. There is this, this giving in to, I believe, I trust this, I, I assent. And I can tell you this, among the three, this is the area I struggle the most as a skeptic, that I battle doubt and I ask really hard questions and sometimes I spiral and I wonder, ah, can I trust you, God? And lastly is, is, is there's a commitment that faith is always action-based, not feeling-based, not thought-based. It is outward-oriented, obedience. That our faith, biblical faith on this journey is a commitment to the purposes of God in our lives. Jesus himself says that if you love me, keep my commandments. And on this journey of faith, as we're growing in our knowledge and as we're beginning to trust God more and more in and through all circumstances, and we obey him, we take him at his word. The result of this journey 
is dwelling with God. That Revelation 21, John, the same author of this gospel, writes, he said, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. This is a picture of new heaven, new earth at the return of Jesus where God dwells with us and us with him and they will be my people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. The miracles, every single person who was healed or raised to life got sick or died again. Because our hope is always in a resurrection and a renewal of all things. That is at the return of Christ when he makes all things new. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Do you trust them? And lastly, a, a practice. Um, I think there's three things that I do wrong with, with my faith, with my knowledge of God with my commitment to God, with my trust of God. And one is that I can find myself basing my faith on my faithfulness. This was Nicodemus's problem as a Pharisee. He had this, this religious system and he had these rules he was following and, and he was basing his entire hope on how good he was in this life. And Jesus says, uh, bro, I'm sorry, it's not gonna cut it. <laughs> it's gonna take a new life. It's gonna take different work that I alone can accomplish? Are you trying to earn God's love and affection tonight? Is that what your hope is in, that I could be good enough that God would love me? I'd encourage you, put your faith in Christ, not your works. On the other side of that, uh, we find ourselves um, putting our trust in our failures, right? That surely, surely this discounts me from the people of God because I am just too messed up and broken. Oh, if only the people in this room knew the things that have happened in the dark. Here at Mosaic, we like to say that all are broken. That is a graceless faith. If you're only putting your hope in how bad you are and how sinful you are, See, you are both sinner and saint in this life until glory. And I'd, I'd encourage you, if, if you're struggling with that graceless faith tonight, let's get a little more saint in there. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And you need to hear tonight that Christ died for the ungodly, the sick, and the broken so that he could raise them to new life. Three, um, a hopeless faith. Because circumstances are fleeting, aren't they? And if you're putting your trust and your hope in your current circumstances, as good or as bad as they are, our faith transcends those circumstances because we have a God who provides hope and peace and life and joy eternally and who walks both through the valley of the shadow of death and knows how to help us lay down in some green pastures because our faith is in Christ and in Christ alone. And so I encourage you tonight, friends, same words that Paul would say to the churches that he planted. He would say, keep the faith. That every generation of the church is tasked with the proclamation of the good news of Jesus and inviting others to follow him. So generation, will we keep the faith in Christ and Christ alone? May we at Fellowship Mosaic be a community of saints who rest solely upon Jesus, the solid rock and cornerstone of our salvation. Will you pray with me? Lord, it's, a, it's an honor to call you. And uh, Jesus, thank you for what you did for that royal official son and not just in the healing and bringing life. But even in this room tonight, you're doing the same thing. So we take this time now just to listen and to respond. Oh, that every person in this room could know the joy of both being and making a disciple. 
Help us to keep the faith together. We love you. Amen. Church, as we continue on in our worship tonight, we're just gonna rest and be with Jesus and spend time in his spirit. And I just wanna pose this question in light of what we just understood about King Jesus. And I just wanna ask where, where in your life have you experienced grief where you could let the faithfulness of God dwell richly in that. I'm just gonna let you spend some time alone with him now. in this passage from 1 Peter. privilege to seeing that it is well with our souls because Jesus brings that hope to us. Amen. So I want to invite you to stand with us. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea build See 
celebrate this tonight. celebrate the fact that God is near and he's bringing us through these times. So let's celebrate tonight as we go. Let's prepare our hearts. From the wilderness you brought me home again You haven't always well From the lonely pit you hold me up again you haven't always will. Sing this with us. You haven't always will. You give hope. You haven't always will. Sing that out. You redeem. You haven't always will. You change.
breath You haven't always will You revive my soul with every word you said You haven't always will Sing this again You haven't always will Jesus, we pray these things in your name, amen. Church, if you need prayer, we'll have some of our prayer team up at the front to, to connect with you and we'll have our pastoral staff in the lobby to connect. So let's prepare our hearts to leave. So let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And the people said, amen. see you next week, church.